Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think it's pretty safe to say that there is a lot of division in our culture today. There's this huge sense of an us versus them mentality. And it's my belief that most of this us versus them mentality comes from a place of a lack of dialogue, from a lack of conversation with people that we make others. But if there's one thing that I've been incredibly encouraged by over the last few years, it's been people who cross borders to have conversations with people who are different than them. Sometimes these are metaphorical borders. These are just, you know, us setting aside our pride and having conversation with people that, you know, we don't like or don't respect or we really disagree with. And sometimes those are literal borders. This week on the podcast, I got to have a conversation with a guy who crossed both kinds of borders. His name is Jonathan Moya, and oh my goodness, I love what he's done. But first, really quick, if you're new to the podcast, this is Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. I am Brandon Harvey, and every week we host hopeful conversations with optimists and world changers about the unique experiences that drive them to use their influence for good. Jonathan Moya fits the bill incredibly well. He's a photographer, and he's a storyteller, and he created a Kickstarter campaign for something called The Border Perspective. Having grown up in Mexico and then moving to the United States side of the border, Jonathan has kind of seen this whole world of politics and division around this place that he grew up in, this area, this part of this continent. Um has really divisive and he wanted to just have a more full perspective of what life on the border was like he didn't have an agenda he just wanted to document life on the border and learn by listening to the perspectives of people who live there so again he started this kickstarter campaign to raise the funds to do this alongside his brother jordan and kickstarter loved it people joined in from all over the world they supported this project and Jonathan got to go on this trip and they took a drive from Texas all the way out to California, driving along the United States-Mexican border the entire time. Jonathan actually got to meet the type of people on the U.S.-Mexico border that we only read about and hear about. They're the people who just live in the communities. There are also people who have illegally crossed the border on several occasions. Jonathan got the chance to meet with the type of people on the U.S.-Mexico border that we only really ever hear and read about. He got to have conversations with people who just live in these communities. He got to talk with people who have risked everything to cross the border illegally. He's talked with people who have been deported and their lives have been radically changed. And through all of this, he just let people take them into their world. He, he dove in to fully understand what these people's lives are like. And I think that's what it's all about. It's all about understanding others and building that sense of empathy. What I love most about Jonathan's project is that we often dehumanize people without hearing their stories or without knowing what they've gone through, where they come from, or where they hope to go. And he dove in 
to have those conversations that matter. And he shared them with us in today's episode. I'm really excited about this conversation. It was great to catch up with him now that he's back from his trip. And I think you're going to like the conversation as well. So without any further ado, this is Jonathan Moya and I having a conversation about the U.S.-Mexico border. (laughs) I was thinking about when you and I first met, and I know for sure that you and I both got to cover Pope Francis's visit to the United States together in, what, Philadelphia, right? That's right, yes. But we met before that, right? We did. We met in uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota, when you were passing through on the Passion Passport oh, trip. that's it. It was just a brief moment, uh, but I remember by that time we had been selected to uh, cover the Pope trip uh, in the East Coast. And so I was like, hey, Brandon Harvey stopping by with a bunch of other people. And so I think we had an opportunity to introduce each other. And so, so I, yeah, that's when we met. Yeah, that's it. We met at that coffee shop. That was it. That's so cool. And, and you're, you're based in Minneapolis. Yep. So I, I um, moved to Minneapolis recently and just in the last few years, my wife grew up here. And so uh, that's kind of the main, one of the main reasons why I stick around. Nice. And where were you at before? Yeah. So right before this, uh, before living in Minneapolis, I was actually living in Seattle. Um, not, not, in, I'd say it's greater Seattle area, but it was actually in a very small rural, uh, town, uh, north of Seattle called Chimicum, Washington. Uh, it was definitely Whoa. very, I'm from uh, Washington. I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. It's actually between like, Polsbo, which is north of north of the city, and then like Port Townsend, kind of around the Puget Sound area. But it was that's where Experience Mission, the organization I work with, that's where at that point we had our office there. And so I was living out there for uh, a number of years while I was traveling and uh, just kind of made the best out of it. You know, it was it, even though it was a uh, kind of a, a remote place to live in. Mm. You launched a Kickstarter right before we launched our Kickstarter for the good newspaper. And That's right. I, it was so fun to like, I was just spending a lot of time on Kickstarter because we were building our page. We were, you know, doing research, looking through all the resources. And one day I hadn't even seen your social media post. I just opened up the front page and was like, oh, this is a really cool project. I'm going to check this out. And then I opened it up and I see, I clicked to watch the video and it was your face. And I was like, what? What? I know this guy. I thought that was a pretty cool way to find out uh, about your Kickstarter. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think um, Kickstarter has been a a great tool, I think, to to launch some... uh, some projects on and this was my first time utilizing the platform so in a lot of ways I don't know I mean kind of your experience what you found and like you said you did a lot of research I was immersed in it as well for just you know the weeks leading up to that because I said how can how have other people done it how can we create a successful campaign and just to get really gain momentum you know towards um, achieving our our project Mm. and for those who don't know tell me a little bit about your project yeah, so I grew up in in South Texas, and so my parents' house is actually right now about three miles away from the U.S.-Mexico border. And so, even though I live in the Midwest now, 
I think there's just been obviously you know the political climate, political conversation. Um, I was in a in a group text with my siblings, and we were all kind of just uh, talking about the culture, how it's making us feel, especially because we grew up in we grew up on the border. You know, I think uh, when we think about the border, it's for us it's home. You know, my parents still live there. Two of my siblings uh, actually are, are going to school there. My sister just graduated from high school last night. Um, and so I think the, the entire conversation surrounding that region in, in some ways was very negative and in some ways was having some, I wouldn't say negative, but just it was, it was definitely having some sort of impact in our lives. And so I kind of threw out this idea. I said, what would it take for, for us? And I was thinking maybe my brother Jordan and I to do an entire border trip, especially because I realized that living in the Midwest, a lot of the people's, a lot of the people that I interact with on a day to day basis have never traveled to that region of the country or uh, maybe don't even know anyone who grew up in that region of the country. And so for myself, uh, since I've been there, I, I, you know, I lived there for many years. My parents still live there. I have a completely different perspective of what life on the border is like. And you've got a background in photography and social media and storytelling. And so your thought process was, let me apply this to something that's really close to home, quite actually literally for you to help communicate this with, with people who don't have any connection to this. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the things that, uh, you know, cause my brother Jordan and I did this trip together. And uh, one of the things that both of us have in common is just kind of our passion for photography. And I think, uh, in some ways, you know, the way we, we launched, uh, the Kickstarter video and, and the initial Kickstarter campaign was we said, we want to invite people into a non-threatening conversation, right? Because I think we can shout our stances or our beliefs from the mountaintops, but I think that's really what's causing the divisive uh, conversations or just divisiveness around our country. And so I said, what if we can invite people into something that's healthier, into something that's maybe visually appealing, maybe in a different, maybe bring a different narrative to the conversation uh, in hopes to engage those who wouldn't otherwise engage in a, in a conversation like this, but would be intrigued, you know? How do you feel like you were able to, or at least what was your goal going into this on how to make this non-threatening? Yeah, it was definitely really hard. Uh, at first, I wrote up the script for the Kickstarter and the campaign and kind of the goals for it. And uh, I showed it to my wife. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, you know, my wife and she, she helps me a lot, especially in kind of the oh, 100%. creative, yeah, the creative aspect of things and even my writing. And the first draft I sent her, I said, hey, read this. How does it sound? And she said, it needs more work. <laughs> and so for me, I thought it was great, but she said, no, it needs more work, especially because we're trying to achieve, like I said, kind of that balance, you know, of obviously we, we have, you know, certain beliefs and, and certain ideas and stances on, on issues, but, but we really wanted this project to kind of just be more balanced and so I knew that it was going to, I knew that we were going to encounter different conversations, different people's perspectives that maybe even I was going to be uncomfortable with. But I think uh, kind of 
working that from the foundation and, and from the initial stage of building the project kind of got us into that mindset. So when we were out, you know, capturing photos and these stories and listening to people, it helped us definitely process some of those conversations in a better way. Mm. What do you feel like the makeup of your backers were? You know, what what kind of people do you think supported the project? I would say a lot of the backers were definitely, you know, a lot of people that um, in some ways, uh, you know, are, are friends, family, and people that I think agree with having more of a dialogue, especially in a time as divisive mm-hmm. as this. Um, the reality of it is, too, that as I saw that, you know, certain people were backing our project, I just... I realized too that there was people on both sides of the spectrum that were backing this project, both people that align in some cases, maybe more liberal or maybe people that were more conservative. And so that said something to me. I said, I think what it said was that all of a sudden this is about not just, you know, our border trip journey, but it's really more about a larger conversation. And I think it showed us that more people want to be a part of that conversation. And so that was kind of uplifting for me to start seeing some of that initially. We've already alluded to this, but the Kickstarter went amazingly well. You far surpassed your goal. You were featured by Kickstarter and you raised all the money necessary. And then you went on the trip. Let's back up a tiny bit. You said you grew up on the border what was that like growing up on the border? I loved growing up on the border. <laughs> I think uh, when I think about my childhood, um, you know, there, there's something just really innocent, you know, about grow, uh, about our childhood, I think. And and I, I loved the place where I lived. I obviously didn't know any, any different. I didn't know any other place. So for me... Uh, I just love um, the richness of life, especially family, um, because, you know, I come from a Mexican culture. Relationships are crucial. Family is very important. And so when I think about my time of growing up, I think about, you know, um, Saturday afternoons when my my parents would say, hey, let's let's go. Um, let's go across the border and, and have dinner. And so we would go walk through the through the markets on the Mexican side and then we would go and, you know, eat tacos on a Saturday night or or just have a Mexican dish. And so growing up on the border was actually for us um, very, a very just very regular life. You know, um, we used to cross back and forth between two countries. We used to speak Spanish at home, but then English in school. And so going back and Mm. forth was actually not foreign to us because that was just normal life. We grew up speaking two languages, eating American and Mexican food, spicy and not spicy food, speaking different languages. And so having different experiences, I think, uh, just became normal for us growing up. So as we got older, you know, those things weren't necessarily something that was completely out of the box for us. We just learned how to deal with it. As you move to to new cities, to new states with people who, you know, have not had that same experience, you know, I mean, I grew up in Washington state and I didn't go to Mexico for the first time until this year. And so 
what did you kind of find that some people's preconceptions of the border were as you left and as you uh, kind of traveled around and moved to different places? Yeah, you know, I think one of the realizations that I'm coming to right now is I just turned 31 in February. And I think as I'm getting older, I'm starting to maybe be more observant and actually uh, realize and, and be in in touch with more of the issues that are surrounding our culture. So I can, I can say that I was very naive, you know, in, in my teens and even early twenties. And I feel like just in, in my late twenties and early thirties is when I've actually started to pay more attention to my family background, uh, where I grew up, who I am as a person, as an, as an individual, kind of just what is my family background? How does it play into where I'm living right now? How does it play into the person that I am today? And so I'm, 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 there's a realization happening within me, you know, that, that I'm more aware about those things. And I think within the last year and a half, obviously, uh, there's, there's been, because of the conversation and because of the rhetoric happening, it's made me way more aware than ever. And so some of the realizations that I've had is that people only know the border through the media, right? And so Mm. I think unfortunately enough, oftentimes only the negative things that happen in that region of the country are the ones that are being reported. So you know, the border is like any other place in our country. I mean, uh, there's really good families, you know, uh, really great places to live. But then there's also criminal activity. And that's just the nature of the world that we live in, no matter what country you visit, right? And so, um, unfortunately enough, I think that certain in, in, in the different places where I've lived, um, and, and I think it's been harder here in the Midwest for me, um, because I think I found that um, and very respectfully, I, I say this, I think uh, just people haven't had the opportunity to travel there or to get to maybe learn more about that region. And so so it's been harder for me because I do feel in some cases where I'm uh, one of the only person that has a different perspective or a different understanding because that's just, you know, a, a very strong part of, of my life. Mm. What kind of expectations did you go into this trip with like what was your thought process on what you might get out of this experience because you'd grown up on the border but it's not like you uh had experienced the whole thing especially i mean you talked about self-awareness you probably didn't have the the total self-awareness growing up to pay attention to the things that now you're maybe interested in paying attention to what was your expectation going into things yeah you know i think the expectation for me initially was to showcase these photos and stories in some ways help other people understand this region of the country. What I didn't expect was the impact that the trip was going to have on myself. Mm. It really was geared to be external. You were like, I'm going to create this because other people need to see this. And then it turned out to be a lot more personal than you expected. Totally, totally. That was, 
you know, if I can just be very honest, initially that was the entire approach to the project. And I said, I just want other people to, to understand it. But um, being back now for a couple of months, I can, you know, say that even two months after, I'm still processing a lot of the stories, the interactions, and, and, and in, in very real ways, what it's doing to my mindset and my perspective and how I dialogue with people and how, um, you know, I, I can just be um, part of the conversation in more of a healthy way. Okay, so tell me about the journey. Your goal was to travel across the entire U.S.-Mexico border. Where do you start then? So our goal was to start uh, where it was familiar to us. So we grew up in South Texas in a small town called McAllen, Texas. And so uh, right on the Gulf of Mexico, there's a small town called Bronzeville, Texas. And so um, we said, let's fly to South Texas, let's rent a car, and let's uh, start our border trip from Bronzeville and then just drive as close to the border border fence it's actually existing right now in in a lot of different places through texas uh, new mexico arizona and california and then the goal was to end in san diego california and the tijuana border and so you started close to home uh what were some of the things you experienced early on in your trip we started close to home and we actually stayed with my family for a couple of nights and uh, just kind of wanted to learn more even about our own background. Uh, so we had more intentional conversations with my parents about about our life there in, the, in that region. What kind of questions did you ask them? Yeah, I think more than anything, we just wanted to understand um, – ourselves and our family dynamics and, and growing up and what was important to my family is because you know my, my parents moved to the U.S. in 1993 and so um, at that point I was uh, about seven years old and so I bet that I didn't realize how hard I think it was for me and in some cases it wasn't really that hard because as, as a child you know as a, as, a, as a little kid growing up in a different place you don't I don't really have a lot of memories or recall a lot of instances that life was challenging. But for my parents who were adults and who had to seek uh, new jobs, find a new place to live and completely be immersed in a different culture, I realize now that it was way more harder for them to be a part of that transition than it was maybe for myself. That's super interesting. Did you find that other people on the journey had had similarly difficult experiences? Definitely. You know, I think one of the, the realizations um, after a, a few days on the road, I think more of the conversation started becoming about immigration. And I think directly from people who were impacted by immigration from one country to another, or people who were just living in that, in that region of the country and were impacted by other uh, people immigrating into the U.S. And you were talking to people on both sides of the border. You were talking to people kind of both sides of the political issue. So who were you talking to as you went along? Like, how did you decide who you're going to have conversations with? Um, how did you decide what to talk about? What was that whole process like, the, the actual people-oriented stuff? Yeah, so um, as we were plotting kind of our, our road trip, in some cases, I, there was, you know, it was... <clears throat> 
as we were planning our road trip, we actually got contacted by different people who knew new friends or family who lived along the border. And they said, hey, this might be a great contact for you to um, connect with. Or and some people were saying, maybe you have it all planned. Maybe you don't. But just in case, here's a contact. And so in some cases, you know, when you look at the entire border, it's 2,000 miles long. And so um, we don't necessarily know um, a ton of people all along the entire border. So along the way, there was a lot of people that reached out to us and gave us different connections to friends or family. And so some of the spots that we that we made throughout our nine-day journey were definitely in places where we knew somebody personally or we were directed there through a friend or family member. And so some of those cases... Some of the people lived on either side of the border. And so, you know, it was interesting because there's obviously not only the American perspective of living on the border, but then there's also the Mexican perspective of living on the border. And so uh, in the places where we did cross into Mexico, we did so with people uh, who knew the area who were either from there or knew someone there and who could kind of just take us along and share with us the different perspectives of life there. What was what was that like when you would cross over the border with somebody who uh, knew their way around? You know, crossing over the border, for, for me, especially because of my childhood, doing that so often, it, it wasn't nerve-wracking. Nerve I think it was normal. I think some of the places that were unknown um, was a little bit challenging. Because I was accustomed to crossing the border in South Texas because I had done so for, for a, lot of, a lot of my time that I grew up there. But once we got into New Mexico, Arizona, California, uh, those borders were foreign to me. And so I didn't know exactly what to expect on the other side. Uh, I'll tell you about one of my interactions in Nogales, Arizona and Nogales, Sonora, we met up with uh, Peg Bowden. She's actually a retired nurse um, who moved from Oregon to Southern Arizona. And so during her time in Southern Arizona, she realized that there was a lot of uh, people being picked up by the Border Patrol. And so she decided to start doing something about it. And so there is a migrant shelter on the Mexican side of the border. And so that entire day of our uh, day with her, we spent some time with her and then she took us across the border and we went to this migrant shelter called El Comedor and we met people that often I only hear about or read about, um, you know, through, through the media. But we, we met people that were trying to illegally cross the desert, you know, um, for the third time that week. Um, we met another guy who had just been deported that morning. I think we met him at around 11 a.m. and he'd been deported into Mexico at 7 a.m. So some of those interactions, like I didn't even know that we were going to have. But because we we met Peg and she took us around and she said, let me take you into my world. Right. And so obviously her world in a lot of ways is very impacting. I think some of the stories are just really raw. And so uh, that interaction for me, uh, that entire day in uh, southern Arizona and northern Mexico across the border was definitely a very eye opening uh, time because 
so often we only understand those stories through, you know, through, through the media. Mm. You grew up on essentially both sides of the border. You get to have experiences on both sides. As you went through this journey and as you, you know, crisscrossed the border, did you have conflicting emotions about what you were experiencing? I did have conflicting emotions about um, a lot of things, actually, you know, because just like we know that just like I know the border as home, I also know that right across the U.S. border in Mexico, there's there's a lot of crime. Right. And so um, I was never faced with any crime, I would say, growing up. But I think during this last trip that we took along the border, I realized that there's severe corruption. There's a lot of organized crime uh, that is currently happening. Right. And so I think I'm trying to understand where do I my I'm trying to understand myself and realize where do I stand in that? Right. Because obviously you want we want to live in a safe country. At the same time, we want to provide opportunities for people that don't have safety in their own countries or, you know, maybe they lack a job uh, or, or opportunity. And so how do you what do we do about that? Right. And so uh, it was very hard because obviously I'm trying to humanize the people and the stories and understand their humanity by listening to them. And at the same time, I'm dealing with like these internal conflicts that I have on my own. And so it's a very complex issue to try and understand because, as I mentioned earlier, there's corruption, illegal immigration, organized crime. You know, um, the environment is something very important to some people. And so you throw all that in, in, in a pod and it's like, where do you begin, right? I think the complexity of it all and for me trying to understand and make sense of that complexity, especially because I'm the one traveling through, listening to the stories, realizing that there's two sides to every perspective. How do I make sense of it all? Yeah. Did you, did you come to, I know this is a stupid question. Did you come to any conclusions with those questions you were asking? Ah, I came back with way more questions <laughs> than I left. That's good. That's how you know that you, uh, that you did it right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I came back with more of a more complex thoughts um, about the entire situation. It's hard for me to fathom that one single policy is going to, you know, kind of uh, influence the entire complexity of every issue currently happening there. Isn't that interesting how I think that the deeper you go into these big topics and, and the the more you try to understand it, the less secure you feel about your preconceived notions and the more questions you end up with. Exactly. I think you mentioned about the, you talked about the expectations earlier on in one of your questions. And um, I never expected that the post-processing of the trip was actually going to be the hardest thing to undertake. The The nine-day road trip was, you know, had a, a beginning point and an ending point and and we took photos and we you know stayed up late and wrote stories captured f- photos but now it's been 2 months later and I can't tell you how much processing I do every single day 
about all the interactions and even my my interactions today in 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 the city that I live in, you know, and and with the people that I interact, and that's been harder than the actual trip itself. Tell me about those interactions that you're having. You know, what what are they looking like? What does it feel like to bring a little bit of the border and a whole lot of questions and internal curiosity to your community in the Midwest? Yeah, you know, one one of the things that I've actually started to notice, and it's becoming a pattern, I think, in the last couple of couple of months, is that a lot more people are in, are inviting me into uh, a conversation, and so I say a conversation because it's not necessarily just a immigration or border conversation, but it's just more they just want to learn more, especially because I just kind of had this life changing experience, right? And so one of the the really uplifting things about it is that um, I do see that there are many people that are just wanting to learn. I think they're wanting to understand uh, a different side. I think they know that they lack a knowledge of that region, even just a, even just a knowledge of maybe someone who's a minority living, you know, um, in the who's completely immersed in life in, in the Midwest in an area where mm-hmm. where I am a minority, right? And so um, I think very graciously uh, every single week people are inviting me, you know, for coffee or uh, for dinner or whatever that looks like. But all in an effort, I think, to try and understand more of that. And I, I truly appreciate that. And you know, that's that's the really positive part of it. But I think maybe. Just in the rawness of it all, I'm also more aware of the interactions and I'm aware of maybe some of those harder interactions where people do have preconceived notions of an individual or maybe uh, without really knowing the way that they talk about uh, something towards me or about me or about a community because it's no longer just about myself. It's, you know, one, one of the reasons it's like, one of the reasons that I actually did this trip is because more than anything, it's it's not there's things that affect me personally, but it's also affecting an entire culture. You know, when you when you look when you open it up to the larger scale of uh, immigration, you know, there's a lot of people groups that fall under that, and um, minority uh, people that fall under that as well. Man, do you mind if I ask what uh, some of the specific like difficult or unfortunate conversations looked like? Totally. I think in the last couple of months, I've actually had a couple of interactions that have been very difficult for me personally. Before my border journey, I used to just kind of, you know, just let things go very easily. And I understand that, you know, those interactions um, do not, portray my identity. They're not who I am. But I think, unfortunately, um, I've had a couple interactions where I was getting on an elevator the other day and um, a lady walked in behind me and uh, she obviously saw how I looked, you know, brown skinned and I look Mexican. I am Mexican. Uh, But she said, oh, are you, how are the building repairs going? Without really asking my name without really asking what I do. And I was actually there putting on a presentation about um, the work that we do in Cuba, you know, um, and, and the church relationships that we have in Cuba. And so I said, oh, I'm actually not here 
to do any repairs. I'm actually here to set up for a presentation that we're doing tonight. Hopefully you can come. And so I realized that interaction was meaningful. It was meaningful because she didn't really take, she made assumptions about myself without really asking my name or my question or what I was doing there. But she just thought that, you know, I, and, and there's nothing wrong with being um, a repairman. You know, I think that's a very uh, dignified job that a lot of people hold. Um, and, and I think fortunately enough, a lot of people that do that type of work, maybe, maybe we are Mexican, you know, and that's why she assumed that. But I, I, I was more aware of that interaction than I had ever been before. And so I'm learning how to process that mm -hmm. because I think after my border journey, it's definitely been more difficult to try and let go of those little things, you know, and, and the reality is, I think even though I don't, I identify myself with that small interaction. Um, I realize that I have a voice. You know, I speak, I'm bilingual. Um, I can defend myself through my voice. I know when I need to say something or not, or just kind of step back and be humble. But there's people that are in my situation who are afraid. There's people who are voiceless. There's people who can't say anything back, right? And so I think about those people and I think about how they would react in to situations like that, especially hard situations where where people are making assumptions of who they are or they're, you know, maybe judging them for what they look like. And that's really tough for me to try and understand. Would you say that that's some of the purpose behind what you're doing now through you know, this border project is kind of bringing a voice to this and, and hopefully fighting back against some stigmas or stereotypes. Exactly. You know, I think one of the one of the main goals and one of the purposes of of our border perspective trip was to just highlight those stories, because oftentimes, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, if we only recognize the negative aspects of the border, then that that's we're going to uh, assume that everybody from that area is like that or lives a life, um, you know, that's reflecting that. But the reality is, you know, we met um, a couple of pastors who are doing a lot of community service through their church. We met, uh, you know, Peg, who volunteers and, and helps immigrants every single week. Uh, we met a, a little league baseball team you know, uh, who practices baseball right on the border from, you know, in El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. And so those interactions just kind of bring um, more meaning to the fact that like, that's just real life. And just like you can find those stories along the border, I can find those stories here in Minneapolis and you can find those stories in Nashville. And so there's a portrayal of the humanity of these stories that, you can see all across our nation. And therefore, I think you can understand and say, maybe we're not that different. That's really, really good. Man, what's next for this project? You know, you, you went on the trip. You've been processing a lot. I'm sure you've got lots of images and footage to go through. Kind of what are you guys up to next? And, and where do you think that this experience is going to take you? 
Yeah, so right now we're just doing a lot of processing. We're still continuing to share some of the stories through our Instagram page. Uh, we continue to edit photos. We I think we, we captured around 4,000 photos. Obviously, if you're a photographer, you know that not all 4,000 are good, right? But it's, yeah. it's singling down to, okay, what are the powerful stories? What are the powerful images that we can share? And then uh, what do we do with them? So, and you know, in the meantime, right now we're actually – continuing to edit those photos. We're also at the same time um, working with um, our videographer who actually went with us on this trip and putting together a mini documentary. Uh, we're trying to understand the audience that this is going to um, be shared with. We're trying to understand the story of how all these different small interactions through these 2,000 mile, uh, through our 2,000 mile journey how do they come together and, and, and share one uh, common theme? And so our goal is that by the end of this year, uh, we'll have something to just present. And, and we're going to do it in a, in a very millennial way, right? We're going to utilize our social media platforms to share that message. And I think because it's important. So all along, uh, you know, the photo processing, the mini documentary, there's some talk about what would it look like to do local events in the cities where here in Minneapolis or maybe in northern Indiana where my brother's from. And so all of those take finances, commitment, a lot of extra time that I'm trying to figure out where to, you know, where to find. But that's kind of some next steps in some ways. And where do you see this? going in in the far future do you think that you'll visit the border again do you think that you'll uh try to to go deeper and have have some more experiences or do you feel like you left with uh with enough questions already one of the things that i didn't expect after coming back from the trip was that people kept telling me and asking me so you're going back right i didn't know how to answer that question because i said why well, I, I already did the entire journey. But the realization that came to me is that there's, we've only scratched the surface of the stories, right? Uh, I think the rhetoric, the conversation, the reality of the border is that life continues. Life is, you know, is normal. Life goes on. And so we actually do plan to somehow seek more opportunities uh, that will continue to fund our efforts to continue to share these stories. I'm actually going back to the border uh, at the end of May, and I'll be there uh, for Christmas with my family. But I want to utilize those opportunities either, uh, you know, with the time with my family to also continue engaging in, in those conversations and continue to highlighting those stories of the people that are living there. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm glad that you're doing that. I've got two final questions I'm, I'm really curious about. Question number one is, I think that the, the, the stories you're telling are, are such great tools for building empathy, and I think that there's so much power with them. How do you think that you can get that in front of the people that you think need that the most? You know, we, there's a lot of division around the topic. Uh, there's a lot of, of hateful rhetoric. How can you get this... Uh, story and, and other meaningful and important stories to the people who who are maybe slinging the most rhetoric. Definitely, I think one of the the approach that we initially took 
you know, the non, non-threatening approach I think works um, in, in many cases because we just want to invite people into a safe place. Uh, we know that some of those, obviously that's easily said than done, but I think through the stories that, that we continue to share, there's some interactions that can transcend all cultures. And so for us, it's um, finding ways to invite those people into those conversations. Um, I know that I'm intentionally seeking some of those interactions personally and very intentionally uh, seeking those. And it's hard. Uh, it's hard because oftentimes there's people that don't want to give you the time. And, and not that they don't want to give you the time because they don't respect you or they're busy. But I think it's because... I think that, you know, I definitely have a different approach, different sense of, uh, you know, of the conversation. Uh, but I want to place myself intentionally in that path, in those conversations, in that environment, so that hopefully I can influence the conversation and the rhetoric to a fuller, pers- to a much fuller perspective and understanding of the humanity, you know, that, that's currently in that region of the country. And then what about people? Kind of on the other side of things, people like me who sometimes I just don't know what to think or, you know, I'm curious and I don't know where to start for people who are seeking understanding in, you know, not just the the topic of the United States Mexican border, but in in other complex things in a time that feels really divisive. What kind of recommendations do you give to them for for seeking real authentic stories and experiences that lead them to more questions than answers. As I was processing my trip, I realized that um, interactions matter. And I think um, sometimes because of our, you know, the way that our generation interacts through the digital platforms, uh, sometimes there's not feelings attached to what we post. But there are feelings attached when we sit around a table and share time and coffee with somebody else, right? So uh, the conversations that we have are important. And I realize that not everybody can take, you know, a 2,000-mile journey along the border to try and understand that specific topic. But you can befriend, you know, maybe um, a person that's different than you are. You can be friends um, and interact uh, in a region or in a place in your city that maybe you don't typically go to. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, I'm thinking of myself here in Minneapolis. There's a there's an area of the city that's very diverse. There's a lot of uh, Somali population. There's a lot of uh, Central uh, Americans, and so I'm thinking of that place in my city. So think about what what is that place in your city. You know, who is that person around your your circles that maybe you intentionally have to place yourself there so that you can try to understand their perspective or where they're coming from? And not so that you can change your stances or beliefs or perspective, but just so that you can have a balanced conversation mm. about uh, understanding where the other person's coming from. You know, because I think... Obviously, both of those conversations and those perspectives are really important. But um, unless we share in conversation with that person, then we're not going to empathize with them. But once we do, there's no way we can't care about who they are. That's perfect, man. That's 
absolutely beautiful. I think that's a perfect way to end this episode. Um, if people want to follow along uh, with what you're doing and if they want to to learn more about everything you've been up to, how can they do that? Yes. So uh, I would say the first thing is to follow our Instagram page. Uh, it's called Border Perspective. And so um, through the account, you will continue to follow our journey. You will see the stories that we continue to share. Like I said, I'll be in, in South Texas right on the border at the end of at the end of May, early June. I'll be there again in December and we'll continue to share what we're up to through through that platform. Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do to to create questions and dialogue and empathy. And I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. Thank you, Brandon. Man, I'm so glad that we got to dive deep into that conversation. I think Jonathan left me thinking about something really, really good. He said, not everyone can just take a 2,000 mile journey to find out more about a topic that they're interested in. But we can all befriend someone that is a little bit different than us. We can all befriend somebody from a part of our city that we don't usually go to, or maybe with people that we disagree with. I think that that's the key here. I think that this is so important. And I was really struck by this idea that the deeper you dive into issues, the deeper you dive into a topic, you shouldn't come out with more answers. You should come out with more questions. That's how you know that you're on the right track, which feels uncomfortable. It doesn't feel easy, but I think it's so valuable. And so with that in mind, Jonathan gives us the courage to ask a few questions. In light of this conversation, in light of this idea of diving in deep and getting to know people on the other side of metaphorical and actual physical borders, what are our preconceived notions about different places? What are our assumptions that we have around others? And how can these preconceptions deter our ability to know the stories of people in specific places? How can we move from our political ideals and lean into this notion of starting to humanize these concepts? I think that when we dive into those questions, we might just find out we aren't that different from people who we think are others. If you want to get to know Jonathan and his project a little bit more, you should absolutely follow them on Instagram. Jonathan is at Jonathan Moya on Instagram, and the project that he started is at Border Perspective on Instagram. If you check it out, you'll find a bunch of beautiful photos of people and places and experiences that Jonathan and his brother shared and got to know and dive deep into across the United States-Mexico border. If you're new to Sounds Good and this is your first or second episode you've ever heard, you might also enjoy two other conversations we've had. One is with photographer Devin Allen, who has done such a good job of telling stories, especially of people in Baltimore. You can check out his episode a little bit further back in our feed. And also check out our conversation with Zach Houghton. He is a world-traveling photographer and storyteller and I loved getting to dive into this idea of the way that travel challenges us and pushes us outside of our comfort zones. I have a feeling if you like this episode, you'll like both of those as well. You can find them at goodgoodgood.co where we keep all of our podcast episodes and a little bit more about us. And you can also find them on Apple Podcasts. If you want to follow along with more good news stories from around the world each week, 
You can follow us online on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at goodgoodgoodco, everywhere. We would love to see you. And again, our website is goodgoodgood.co. And uh, we've got a little bit more about us. If you're curious, what is Brandon up to? On that note, that's all for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week. And we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation from an incredible person. Sound good? 